Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in again. Today, I'm going to talk about Debo Samuel, David Montgomery, Jalen Rigor, and their injuries. Give an update there. Going to give away one more free injury assessment for leaving a review of the Injury Prone podcast. Um, we have one more announcement as well. And I'm also going to talk about something near and dear to my heart, which is eating tacos the right way. And yes, the right way. It is taco season. It's, it's never not taco season. And we're going to talk about it. So thanks for tuning in. Hope you stick around. Let's get down to it. Something super exciting. Our next winner of the free injury assessment of their teams is going to go to at dynasty underscore doofus on Twitter. He tweeted at me, said at FB injury doc, I love the new pod. and love that you led off the receiver episode with my guy Hollywood. Definitely will be listening moving forward. He left a review, super nice review and said, Great in-depth yet succinct information with practical applications for your fantasy roster. Love how information is broken down and relayed in layman's terms. We'll definitely be adding to my collection of Dynasty pods. Thank you, Dynasty Doofus, and congratulations. I'll make sure to DM you after I send this out. Another bit of an announcement here. I don't know if an announcement. I'm going to start a cliche listener league. Here's the catch. Tweet me your funniest most original, most creative fantasy football team name. And you could win a spot in the Injury Prone Fantasy Football uh, Podcast League, the Listener League. You can play against me, so I guess it's 11, eh, depending on how many. I don't know. Maybe we'll do a 20 league. If there are hilarious fantasy football team names, then, then, then that's acceptable. So here's what you need to do. Tag me on Twitter, at FBInjuryDoc, if you don't have a Twitter uh, my email's in my link, in my bio. Send me the funniest fantasy football, or most clever, funniest, most clever, whatever, uh, team name, fantasy football team name that you can think of. And don't send two girlies, one cup. Um, don't send some hack ones that have been, you know, just reused over and over and over again. Uh, but bonus points if it's a 2020-related team name. So, again... Send me the funniest fantasy football team name you can think of. Win a spot in the injury-prone fantasy football podcast listener league. I'll take as many entries as possible as long as um, there are funny jokes. Don't take yourself too seriously. Think of a funny team name and send it my way. Now moving on to the important stuff. Got a bit of a situation on our hands in Chicago with David Montgomery going down with a groin injury, right? Here's what you need to know. This is a sticky situation. Essentially, what you get... So, let's back up. First of all, David Montgomery, last week, um, he ended up having a groin strain, which is also known as a sports hernia, also known as a core muscle injury, also known as athletic pubalgia. It goes on and on and on and on and on. There are about 100 different nicknames for this injury that, that he has. What you need to know is that now he's a little volatile. The research on sports hernias and groin injuries, groin strains, when it comes to non-surgical outcomes is, is all over the place. There are a couple of studies that show that conservative care, aka rehab, is just as effective as surgery, and it can be. Um, 
it's also, there are some studies that showing that surgery is more effective. Um, it's really difficult to, to discuss why those differences are without getting into the weeds. Basically what you need to know is that Deshaun Jackson last year, for example, tried conservative rehab. Obviously he came back and he needed surgery afterwards. So it didn't work. Uh, that's a, that's the player that I think of when I think of groin strains that have happened recently. A player that I think of that succeeded without surgery is Mike Evans in 2014. He had a groin strain. Maybe it wasn't as bad, but uh, he had a groin strain and didn't need surgery. Nonetheless, he came back. So even when you look at the sample of players in the league who've had these injuries, it reflects the research in that sometimes surgery helps. Sometimes they don't get surgery and it's fine. So it just really depends where the team decides to go with this and they're obviously choosing to forgo surgery now i understand that i get it It, nobody wants to automatically be put under the knife teams want to generally avoid that even surgeons want to generally avoid that conservative care can be just as um useful obviously i'm a physical therapist i advocate for conservative care for rehab uh, as often as possible now though for fantasy football purposes he is just at a at an elevated risk because of that groin strain initially that happened for it to happen again. So his volatility has definitely increased. I dropped him for my green light tier at fantasypoints.com to basically the bottom of my yellow light tier. He is extremely volatile. I know Ian Rappaport put out reports that the, the team's looking at two to four weeks for him to return. I would be surprised if he's back before the four week mark, not to say that it's impossible, um, but I think even taking it slowly uh, would be would be in their best interest. They're obviously a part of the reason that they're going without surgery is because he's young and otherwise healthy and hasn't had this issue in the past. So they they think he can he can bounce back, and it's definitely a possibility. But when it comes to season long, especially, he is somebody that is on my radar for being volatile. Maybe you weren't even invested in that offense to begin with anymore. Maybe you were because of the volume. It just really depends. Uh, what your team construction is and, and, and all that stuff. Okay. So moving on to another guy who I talked about back in June when he had the injury in the first place, Debo Samuel coming off a Jones fracture, right? So June 18th, I think 17th or 18th, he, he fractured that foot, which is basically the, the fifth metatarsal of the foot. And he's had a pretty uneventful recovery, which is a good thing. He has been smooth sailing. And it looks like Shanahan has gone from, he probably won't play week one, to, oh, we'll see what happens, to, well, Debo Samuel might be back week one. And I concur. Here is a snippet of my summary that I wrote back from June 17th or 18th. It was June 18th. I just looked at the date. Here's the summary that I wrote in my injury profile on fantasypoints.com about Debo Samuel. Overall, redraft players should be cautious with Samuel this year and monitor his situation closely. The magic date is August 27th, 2020. If Samuel returns to full activity before that date, definitely monitor his health. This obviously means he'll miss reps in camp, which could lead to a slow start. If you're a dynasty player, use this window to acquire Samuel at a lower price. So, I definitely think that at this point, um, it's pretty apparent that Debo Samuel will come at the will come back at the ten to twelve week mark, which is what I talked about in this uh, player profile as well. I talked about 
uh, on Twitter at FB injury doc. I said 10 to 12 weeks uh, would be the general recovery time. A big reason why I thought that is because 16 weeks, to, 16 to 18 weeks removed from that injury was just an excessive amount of time. Uh, there's literally no reason from a rehab perspective to keep a player out that long. So the 10 to 12 weeks always made the more sense. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying he's a green light, full bore, go get him, chase after him. That's not what I'm saying because this fracture in this patient population specifically does recur. There's about a 10% refracture rate. So he's not out of the woods in terms of that. But when it comes to being ready for week two, week three, I definitely can see him back on the field by then, which is why I said from the beginning that you should still continue to acquire him depending on where he was going at ADP. So he just recently, um, he recently had one of the most, quote, explosive, I think, or hardest practices uh, of the summer. That's great. Kyle Shanahan's talking about how he, you know, could be back for week one. I believe it. Uh, definitely considering now how they're having, the 49ers are having such a hard time with their uh, wide receiver health, unfortunately. Uh, I definitely think that Devo Samuel for week a week two or three return is on the table. And hopefully you've been planning accordingly. If you've been following me since then, you've, you've been planning for that. So hopefully you are um, got your ducks in the row there with Debo Samuel. So that's the update on him. Lastly, I want to talk about Jalen Rigor. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Jalen Rigor, Jalen Rigor. I'm not sure. Right. So yesterday when I was hiking uh, up at Lake Tahoe, which I don't apologize for hiking Lake Tahoe. It was beautiful. It was fun. My wife and I went up there. Um, it was a good time. I do apologize for the late responses that I gave on Twitter and everything else. Anyway, here's the skinny on Jalen Rigor. Jalen Rigor likely had a subluxation or a dislocation of his shoulder joint. His shoulder joint specifically referring to the ball and socket joint, which is a glenohumeral joint. If your your upper arm bone, your humerus, leads to your shoulder, which is a glenoid, and that's where they connect. Imagine now that your humerus, right, the head of the humerus, the, the ball, the ball part of the ball and socket joint, imagine that's a golf ball. And imagine that the, the labrum, the I'm sorry, the socket joint, the 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 glenoid is a golf tee. Now, that golf ball can roll around on that golf tee, right? And as long as there's something, as long as there's a shelf preventing it from falling over, uh, it, it won't, it won't, the ball won't fall off the tee. It has to be perfectly centered though, right? Now, imagine that something happened, right? A trauma, I don't know, let's say the wind knocked over the ball on the tee. That knocking off the ball, the ball coming off the tee is essentially what a shoulder dislocation is. That ball part of the ball and socket joint comes out of the socket and then has to be put back in. What happens is that the shelf that prevents that from happening fails. It's called the labrum. The labrum tears. When the labrum tears, it's really difficult to, you really can't do much other than stabilize the muscles around it for rehab. And what you have subsequently without surgery is this loosening of the labrum that prevents that dislocation from happening. So really you get the situation where you're just more susceptible to, to that dislocation happening again, or that subluxation happening again. It doesn't matter how much rehab you do. You're just more susceptible than you were prior to the trauma that caused it to dislocate in the first place. He's going to be out three to four weeks. I don't worry about pain necessarily being a limiting factor for him. What I worry about specifically is that when you have a patient who has this type of issue, 
what they might do when they try when they return to sport is wear a sling. And you've seen Dalvin Cook wear the sling because he had the same injury. The sling that essentially it wraps around the shoulder and then up through sort of the upper trap area. And it comes back down at, at the player's chest. And there's this little string that prevents them from raising their arm pretty much above like 110, 120 degrees. That's because the higher overhead the arm is, the less stable the shoulder is, the more likely it is to re-dislocate again. That specific sling will make it really difficult for his catch radius to be in the realm that it was before. It's just going to limit his catch radius, period, right? We don't know if it was his right or left arm yet. We're going to assume it was his dominant arm, whichever that is. Um, that's not a good thing, right? So even when he comes back, one, he's already likely to re-dislocate re or, or re-sublux again. You know, based on the study of NFL players, there's about a 55% chance that happens. Um, worded differently, 55% of NFL players who have had a dislocation or subluxation end up happening, that ends up happening to them again. And when he has the sling on, if he does choose to wear it, he's going to be basically limited in his catch radius. That's going to be a problem with jump balls. It's going to be a problem uh, fighting defenders off the line of scrimmage. It's going to be, it's going to be sort of a headache for him without the surgery. That's what I worry about with Jalen Rior. On top of the idea that if he doesn't wear the sling, um, he's honestly just as likely to, to dislocate it again. There's maybe some percent chance that it reduces the chances of it, of it becoming dislocated again. But, I mean, he didn't even re-dislocate it. He didn't dislocate it in the first place during a jump ball. He dislocated it when he was, I think, making a tackle on an interception or something. So that, that's very, very likely to happen again if he, if he tries to make a tackle again. It's just, it's sort of a headache of a situation now, and it's an unfortunate situation because he had such promise for this first year. I'm not saying fade Jalen Rigor. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is now he enters the realm of a volatile player, sort of in the same way that David Montgomery does, sort of in the same way that Debo Samuel does. They're, you're not hitting the, the panic button necessarily yet, but you aren't necessarily trusting them to the extent that you were before the injury happened. That's where I'm at on Jalen Rigor. I hope that makes sense. It just, you could get into the details and, and the minutia of things, but really just, he's just more volatile now. And I hope that makes sense. Um, I hope the best for him. I hope this is the last time this happens. Hopefully rehab remedies the situation. I just hope that's the case. I don't know if that will be the case. Now I want to talk about something that really has, has grinded my gears for the last year that I've been on FF uh, uh, Twitter. Right, it's something that I hold very near and dear to my heart. Something that I I really view as uh, something that I'm an expert in. Something that I have a little bit of experience in. Something that, for all intents and purposes, I am the industry leader, industry mind on this situation for a lot of different reasons. And that is the idea of a quote, air quotes, hard shell on air quotes taco for you heathens out there who like hard shell quote again, hard shell tacos. Who are you? Who are you even? First of all, who are you? Second of all, how dare you? Third of all, what are you doing? You've become this population on Twitter that apparently existed this entire time that I'm unaware of. Listen here. Okay. A lot of different directions I can go with this. But the hard shell taco, right? Let's talk about the idea of a hard shell taco. First of all, in Mexico, there are a few regions 
that eat hard shell tacos. Yes, it exists. They exist. Those people exist. But it is not the same thing as a taco, as a, quote, hard shell taco that happens here. It's not some crunchy chip thing that sounds like you're chewing on nuts or something crazy. No, 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 no. Let's get this straight. In Mexico, there is a version of a taco that is a lightly, lightly, very lightly breaded corn tortilla, tortilla, tortilla de maíz. You put some masola oil, what you know about that masola oil, in the pan, fry that up, fold it up. That's your shell. And it's a golden brown. It is not this monstrosity, cardboard, rice crispy texture. It is a golden brown, lightly flaky, sort of crunchy shell. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a great variation. None of this Tex-Mex, what is the, I don't even know the brand of the box that those come in. Those are monstrosities. Those are abominations, okay? Now let me tell you how to eat a real taco, okay? You get some tortillas de maíz, right? Corn tortillas, okay? Uh, it really depends your 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 preference on, there are some, um, there are some, a few different brands that I prefer, but that's a different topic for a different day. But you get your tor- tortilla, right? Get masola oil again. Don't, you don't bread it. You don't need to bread it, okay? Just fry it very very briefly, right? Put it in the oil, throw it in the oil, flip it a couple times, take it out. You get two of those, okay? Two of those tortillas, you do that. You stack them. Then you throw on your carnitas or your chorizo or your carne asada, whatever you want to do for the day, right? Your steak or whatever, your pork, whatever you want to put on there. That's your base, okay? Don't overdo it, okay? Because a serving is six of these. You don't need to do all of them. You don't need to, do, you don't need to fill yourself up in, in one taco, Okay? Then comes your pico de gallo, your cilantro, okay? Cebolla, some onions. You throw some onions on there, okay? Still with me? All right, this part's important. Pico de gallo. You can put some pico de gallo in there. Some pico's good. No big deal. Just just a tad. Don't overdo it, okay? Next, you're going to put on some salsa, Okay? Valentina's fine, but really you want something a little spicier with a little bit of a kick, okay? You can put some tomatillo even. It just depends. I've probably lost a lot of you at this point. Don't worry about it. If you, if you it, First of all, this is what I want you to do, actually. If you're listening to this, the next time you have a taco night, quote-unquote taco night, I want you to tag me on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc, and I want to see the monstrosities. I'll roast you if they're, if they're bad, but I'll give you props if they're good, okay? Anyway, notice what I left out of this taco ingredient. The one ingredient I left out cheese a good taco the carne asada or whatever does not need cheese on it that is an absolute my grandma is rolling in my abuela's rolling in her grave right now hearing you say that you put cheese on your taco what's going on there <sighs> anyway i know that danny carter probably has a terrible food take out there at cd carter 13 probably has a terrible terrible take on this um he probably puts cheese on his taco. He probably doesn't eat any meat. He probably just uh, veges it out. I don't know. He probably eats peppers. I don't really know what he does. Anyway, that that's my take on tacos and and, and sort of the taco hard shell truthers, quote unquote hard shell truthers. I, I really think that you should get help. Um, you should get some help if you're a hard shell truther. Let me know if you're a hard shell truther uh, on Twitter at FB Injury Doc so I know to roast you. But other than that, that's what I got for today. 
Thanks for tuning in. Peace out.